You are listening to The Nameless Minority. Let's get started. Today we welcome my mother, Elizabeth Shoemaker, to the podcast. She was there for every step of the journey of Bella's life. I thought with it being the 10 year anniversary, I would have a family member on to shed a little more light onto the life that we miss so much. I've also included a couple of short family memories from other family members at the beginning of the podcast. I hope you enjoy as we celebrate the life of Bella Shoemaker on this episode. Hey, this is Bella's Uncle Terry. Two quick memories that I have of Bella. One, I was charged with bringing her home from Glasgow one time. And in the back seat, she kept yelling at me, I am a so mad, period. And when I would ask her what she was mad at, she would giggle. But then she would scream at me, I am a so mad, like she was really, really angry. Second, one time, Bella and I were left alone for... 30 minutes or so at my house, and I remember cranking on some music and Bella and I dancing around my back room together, and it was the swaying as I held her, I think, that meant so much to her as the music played. Those are two distinct memories I have that I claim as my own with Bella. Hello, I'm in... Bella's papa, and my memory, one memory of hers, is when we went to Terry and Dayston for a cookout, me and Nana did, and we'd walk around back, and them other kids heard me coming, they started hollering papa. Well, in the background, I kept hearing voices, papa, papa. And I went over there, there she was, laying up in the hammock. I picked her up, and she gave me the biggest hug. I squeezed my neck off and kissed me. And she had that grin. Well, she got a grin you never forget. And another time is when we babysat her for her one night. And she had a big box of toys. And when she got a toy out, she slung it. I mean, slung it across the room. She slung one 12 foot and I told her to quit that but she wouldn't do it so finally I put her in time out well I can remember her mom and dad come in I can remember her mom and dad come in and then she told on me and said I put her in time out My name is Brandy Coe, and Bella is my second cousin. Um, my favorite memory, one of them, of Bella is when I walked into her grandma's house, her nana's house, and I heard Bella in the living room. I walked in there, and she had her leg straight up beside her like um these ballerinas that you see in gymnasts i swear her knee could touch her ear and she had it straight up asking who was in the house 
and she had like a kitchen wooden spoon in her toes and she was playing with her other favorite toys in her hand and what she didn't want she just threw across the room and I laughed and laughed and she kept asking who was there her nana kept saying it's Brandy and she'd giggle and then she'd say who's there and she'd giggle but when I walked in and I seen her leg straight up like a gymnast you couldn't help but to laugh she's just had her favorite toys she played with and one of them was that wooden spoon and it was in her toes <laughs> Welcome, Elizabeth Shoemaker, to the podcast, better known as Dale, Willie, uh, Mother, Mom, and most importantly, Nana. How are you today, Nana? Oh, I am great, Jerry. How are you? Just fine. Good. Nana, how would you describe Bella to everyone? Oh, my goodness gracious. She was the most precious, fun-loving, laughing little girl I have ever known. She loved her bodily sounds like a toot and a burp. Um, those would make her giggle more than anything. Her favorite toys were things like chopsticks things uh, shaped like that she knew every name of a kitchen gadget even though he, she was blind she would just spill of them and tell you what they were she was very loving she could wrap those little arms around your neck and just squeeze um she was very delayed in everything but yet at the same time very smart um, since she was blind it's just so amazing how her other senses kicked in she would know us all by our voice. Even without our voice, I can remember one time we were over at Terry and Daisha's and Callie and I, and Bella was upstairs in Callie Gwen's room and Bella was going through the toy chest, feeling of everything. And if it didn't have the shape of a chopstick, she would say no and throw it over her shoulder. And then Carson came in the room, but he never said anything. He just sat down beside of her and he was sort of pushing the toys to where she could reach them. And she would say, no, Carson, no. So she was just such a joy to have in my life. It, she was such a joy and such a blessing. What do you think would be your favorite memory of <laughs> uh, just in general of anything to do with Bella? Um, I have lots of memories, um, but I remember, you know, after Bella would have her chemo, she had it twice a month. And so at least sometimes once a month, I would try to let Bella stay all night with me, especially during the weekend after her chemo, because most of the time she was up all night. Um, one thing I started with the grandkids, I actually started it with Carson when he was like eight months old, was the story of the three little pigs. By the time Callie came and I was still doing that, the grandkids took on the characters of the three little pigs. Um, 
one of them was Carson, one of them was Callie, and one of them was Eli. And since Bella had a disability, her and Eli were sent by their mom and dad to go out and make it in the world on their own. And when I would tell that story, <clears throat> there would be, I would say there's a, I would hear a knock at the door and I would knock on the wall and I would say, who's there? And I would say, the big wolf, let me in. So eventually, one, one time when I knocked on the door, I said, who's there? Bella said, wolf, Anna, wolf. And so that really got me tickled. And we were actually laying in bed. And so it was dark. So I got up and flipped on the light because I wanted to see her facial expressions. So I got back in bed and I continued with that. And every time I would knock on the wall, I would say, who's there? She'd say, Wolf, man, I was. And her eyes were huge and she was so serious. She was listening to every word that I said. And then she would get so excited because her house and Eli's house is the only house that the big bad wolf did not blow down. And that's because Papa helped them build that. So, yeah, and that story has continued on, uh, even with Eli, until he was about 10 years old. Uh, every one of the grandkids loved that story. So that, that's one of my favorite memories of Bella. How, how did you come up with the idea to do the cookbook for um, Bella to raise money? Um, that wasn't long after Bella was diagnosed and she had already had some surgeries in Louisville and... I could tell you guys were worried financially um, about your money and I didn't want you guys to worry about money. I wanted you to just be worried about your child. And uh, one of my best friends, we worked at a factory called Simitomo in Edmonton and she came up with the idea of the cookbook and she actually uh, played a big role in that. Her name was Karen Tudor. I never could have done it without her. I decided on the pictures that I wanted. And she actually put the cookbook together uh, in the way that it needed to be so that they could ship it. Um, we came up with the idea of us typing everything. I think that saved us like $250. So we sat down and we typed, and I'll never do that again. Uh, even when I look through it, I think there's a recipe in there that I know I typed for spaghetti and I was telling people to put like two tablespoons of peanut butter in it. So, uh, but that cookbook tells a story. It's got pictures on um, the, every category and it's got Bella saying something. And I was scared to death when I ordered those because I think I ordered 4,000 People, my friends, came to me and took them by the cases to sell. And like in a week or a week and a half, I had every one of them sold. Um, so that was like $11,000 profit that we made off of that. And you guys used that money just for her. And even at her death, there was some money left. And we actually just used that toward her funeral expense. Mm-hmm. Yep. But people tell me they love that cookbook. They sit and get it out and read it and they laugh and they cry and um, because it does, it just tells a story. Yep. Um, 
<sighs> well, what did did you ever have a story of I like to say people um uh re make making you feel that people are still good like they did something for you through all of it did you ever have anything like that like we would uh just randomly have um money show up in the mailbox and weird things like that but i didn't know if anybody had ever done anything like that to make you uh, um feel like had, people were really good again yes um i had left Simitomo and was actually in nursing school. So a lot of the people came from Simitomo or I met them in the parking lot and they got cases of those cookbooks. Um, a lot of them called me every day wanting to know how Bella is. I uh, got lots of cards. Um, I got more support probably from Simitomo because I had been there for a while. And that was in Metcalf County. And they were such a giving, caring, loving group of people. And I still, even at Bella's passing, even though I had been gone at 10 years, I still had friends that came from Simitomo uh, to visit me at, you know, at the funeral home. So I would say that was my support group. And, and, um, of course, my family and, uh, but I cannot begin to tell you guys how much uh, Karen Tudor supported me through all this and, and helped me. So that was a big part of it there. Good old Karen Tudor. I know. She's special. She's more like a family than she is a friend. Um and even to this day, we're still good friends. And she's got grandbabies of her own. Uh, so, but yeah. Um, I know that we all deal with grief in our own ways. And I know there's days when you don't want to particularly get out of bed every once in a while. Um, what makes you get out of bed? Well, right now, work. Um, I really, last summer was really hard because being a school nurse, I was off the summer and plus, uh, because of COVID, I was out extra months. Um, so work is something that peps me up and gets me going because I know I have that to look forward to every day. Um, Pat Paul, he really pushes me, especially on my days off. Um, I have to have a routine. Um, but some of my hardest times with Bella is anything that's related to her, like this month has been really hard. Mm -hmm. um, I felt I've been feeling really sad and really gloomy, really fatigued. And, you know, at the beginning of the month, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? And then it hits me this month is Bella's death, um, her death, her birthday. And then the holidays, uh, Halloween, um, that was the last time she was actually at my home uh, before things got really bad. So Halloween's tough. And then you have November and December. I can't wait till those months are over with because 
it's come January the 1st, it's like a uh, big heaviness has been lifted off my shoulders. It's just, a, it's just a sadness that I have no control over. Yep, I understand. Um, I got interviewed the other day for a podcast. And so, so Saturday, the 27th is 10 years. Does it feel like 10 years? <clears throat> In one sense, it does, and then another sense, it don't. It's hard to believe that in May she will be 16. Um, I can't help but wonder, you know, what she would look like because I think to me she will always be five and a half and always look like that little girl at five and a half. I didn't realize until Bella's passing when I was looking at a family picture of my mom and all her great grandkids, which is Bella, Callie, and Carson. And um, there's not that many months difference between Bella and Callie, but when I compared their size, um, mm. it's like Bella was half the size of Callie. And it didn't stick out to me until I looked at that family photo after Bella had passed how little she actually was. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a three-year age difference between her and Eli. And he was almost as big as her, what, within like a year and a half? Yeah, yeah. There was, um, she was small. She was very delayed in that area. Um, if you could give anybody any advice on dealing with grief uh, and just everyday little bitty things, what would you tell them? Oh, gosh. I would just, I would tell them that at the time your grief is so heavy, you just don't, there's just days you feel like you're just not going to make it. Um, but, you know, what choice do you have other than suicide? Um, I would tell them to, I found myself really focusing on Bella's death right after she died. I mean, months and months I focused on that. And then one day I thought, I can't do that no more. I have to focus on the, the good memories. And I, we have some wonderful memories. Mm -hmm. um, you go through anger. I truly believed in all my heart that God was going to save her and make her an example of something that he could do. I, I had that in my head and in my heart because at that time I was just really involved in the church. And when that didn't happen, and still to this day, um, I still don't go to church. Um, I still believe there is a God, but I don't know. It's affected me in that sense. Uh, I hope there's a heaven because I hope I can see her. And I think if you have hope, it just helps you. Um, and there are gonna be cruel people. Bella had been gone maybe uh, a year and it was the year of her anniversary of her death. And I was really struggling at work and um, I got to crying and I had to leave. And at that time I was a dialysis nurse. I just had to leave and go to the bathroom. And one nurse said, huh, wonder how many years you can use that for an excuse. Um, 
And then Bella was actually still alive. And I had a social service lady come up to me and say, is your granddaughter still alive or she died? So people can be cruel. Um, and I would just encourage them to focus on the, the good memories and to talk about them. Um, I can talk about Bella without crying. I try to talk about her all the time. Everybody at work knows about Bella. Um, they know what she's been through. And they, they know that it's a tough time for me. Um, and just, to, you know, to hang in there. Um, and if you need grief counseling, to go for grief counseling. Because sometimes you cannot work through it. Yeah, I always feel like I always just straight into survivor mode from the very beginning and just had to go to work, had to do whatever I had to do just to make it. So yeah. I didn't have time to deal with any of that forever. Yeah. Uh, and somebody, Nana, suggested that I started running. And yeah. then I ran for a very long time. So now is probably one of the first times that I've ever actually tried to sit and deal with it. And it's, it's difficult. Um, there's, I always tell people every day is different. And there's days when you don't want to get up and there's days you want to, don't want to do anything. And some days that's fine. Yeah. Um, do you, and then some, go ahead. No, you go ahead. And sometimes I'll see a child that, I'll look at them and just for that split second, something about them reminds me so much of Bella. And, you know, sometimes that'll make me cry. Um, it's just hard. It's really hard. And another thing I'll tell myself, um, God surely must have thought we was a good family to have given us such a child because she was very loved and very cared for and it's not that Bella had a bunch of kid friends. She had adult friends. Mm -hmm. All of her friends were adults and she knew them and she knew their voices and she knew their names and they knew her. She didn't like kids. <laughs> no, um, she really didn't. But she, she knew all of your friends, her mom's friends, Terry and Daisha's friends. And she knew me. And uh, I think I've said this before in another podcast when she would come with me. One of the things I always did was go visit my mom in a nursing home and she knew big nanny. Um, so we were very blessed to have had her. We had her for a short time, but she, she sure did bring some happiness in my life along with some sadness. Yep. Yeah. Well, you always say that you tried to um, focus on all the good, but in my head I always had to think about the bad every once in a while to realize that there was good if that makes sense. And then there's some things I truly just don't remember. Right. And then somebody mentions it and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that happened. Like we were walking the other day and you mentioned about Nashville and your worst memory. And I don't remember any of that. Yeah, that was, um, I, I used, Bella usually got chemo twice a month and at least once a month I tried to go with her. Number one, I felt like that was my support group down there. I felt like those people could relate to me and I could relate to them. Um, and when Bella achieved anything, the three words 
that everybody used with her is awesome, amazing, and adorable. And she got to where she would flip that around. Now, I remember going with her on chemo and they called her back and her nurse practitioner was listening to her, Bella's heart. And I can't remember the nurse practitioner's name, but Bella said, Miss So-and-so, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, you just either you sit there and you grin and you laugh with her or it just breaks your heart thinking about how sweet that is. Mm-hmm. And then I would see kids that would come in and I could tell the biggest difference. And I, it, you know, sometimes I would think that's going to be me one of these days. And it was, it was, uh, but when it hit Bella, it hit her really fast, really fast. And those are the her last visits at Vanderbilt Hospital were some of the hardest. And I, I think I remember those. Those are still very painful because they're still so new. Whereas the ones in Boston, that was at the beginning. So that was almost, that was 15 and a half years ago. I can still remember Boston, but the newest ones the ones that hurt me the most are Vanderbilt because they had so much trouble trying to get her pain under control. And she was screaming and they would take her to surgery because they thought it was her shunt. And I remember you came back and I, I was just, I fell asleep and you said, mama, they're going to have to take her back again. And oh my gosh, we went in the recovery room and she was screaming to the top of her lungs and you could, she was just in so much pain. And I still remember that. I remember that. And I remember her death so vivid. And those are just painful memories. And I, I try to focus on the good. What makes me, what make, what, what she did to make me happy. Mm-hmm. You, she, oh, go ahead. Do you do anything special on the anniversary date or her birthday or anything? I do. Um, usually on her anniversary day. Uh, right after Bella passed, not long, I started a 5K, 10K here, but then the breast cancer came along and um, I was trying to eliminate stressful things in my life, but I usually try to walk that, that trail on her anniversary date and her birthday, but this Saturday, I actually have a run in Bowling Green. It's a run walk for, uh, it's a kid's run walk in Bowling Green, Um, and I'm going to go decorate her grave, and usually on her birthday, um, I usually decorate her grave and sit. I sometimes I take me a towel and I just sit on her grave and I have Cheerios, honey nut Cheerios, and I put them there and I tell the story of the three little pigs. That's better than what I do. Yeah. As we reflect on the six years we did get to have Bella on this earth, we try to focus on the positive. We try to focus on each other and what we need to do to cope with the grief. Everyone deals with grief in their own way. I cannot be the judge on what is right or wrong. I just know that each day is different. Take it one day at a time. Stay present. Live your life. Don't let things pass you by. And as always, be amazing, be awesome, and be adorable.